Shana Tova. In 1841, Scottish journalist Charles Mackay posited in his extraordinarily popular delusions and madness of crowds that it is possible to identify signs of euphoria in order, in order to sidestep market bubbles. However, spotting trends is very difficult and the most successful outliers, whether in finance or in the nonprofit world of religious institutions, are those who both anticipate change and manage to transform things from the way they are to the way they will be. This is the challenge that I offer in my last Kol Nidre sermon of my 40-year career, 20 years of which have been spent here at this august congregation. In 1975, the Eastman Kodak Company developed the first digital camera. Its management faced what Clayton Christensen terms the innovator's dilemma. It's the title of his landmark book. With the benefit of hindsight, we now know that the digital camera would overtake the film camera and become what Christensen termed a disruptive innovation a revolutionary product that displaces an existing technology and creates new value. Those who ignore such innovation ultimately lead their enterprises into a tailspin or worse, the graveyard. Eastman Kodak executives ignored their transformative digital photography because they believed that it would, the technology would cannibalize high margin film sales. They did not recognize that they could not hold back progress and that eventually someone else would market the technology that not only would cannibalize film sales but would also bring that blue chip bellwether company to, to bankruptcy. Twenty years later when Kodak started selling digital cameras at a loss to keep up with the leading manufacturing innovatives, it was too late. Last February, Kodak ended all camera production. Harvard Business School professor Christensen posits that executives ignore disruptive innovations because their value may be too difficult to recognize or the new product may negatively impact profit margins by competing with existing profitable designs. Corporations that failed to transform established technology, even when it was clear that innovation would ultimately overtake their products, include Digital Equipment, Data General, Wang, and Apollo, all crashed and burned in less than a decade. Their blindness to transformative PC technology resulted in certain death. Conversely, Intel Corporation avoided the junk heap in the 1980s by shedding the memory chip business, laying off thousands of workers, and focusing on microprocessors. And now, cloud computing is doing to PCs what PCs did to mainframes. Data centers are powering information processing just as electric utilities power appliances, resulting in more smartphones and netbooks now being sold than PCs. 
Christensen-focused disruptive innovation in the education arena. In his book, Disrupting Class, How Disruptive Innovation Will Change the Way the World Learns, Christensen envisions customizing the delivery of information to the needs of different kinds of learners through heavy reliance on computers. Given most synagogues' limited resources, uneven proficiency standards, learning differences and motivation of children, difficulty obtaining and retraining skilled teachers and professional administrators, geographic distance, the congregational population, and overloaded schedules of students and their families, individualized computer instruction will get superior competency-based results in comparison to today's mediocre results. Those of us who are the products of supplemental religious education are well aware of its inability to produce knowledgeable Jews as one woman's indicting lament explicates. When I was little, my family belonged to a conservative synagogue, a nice old shul with a kind elderly rabbi. Then we moved to a congregation that was the epitome of suburban, soulless, conservative synagogue. The most enduring thing I learned was how to smoke cigarettes. I had Hebrew school for several hours, two nights a week, for four years, Sunday school for hours every Sunday, and starting in the seventh grade, I was required to attend four-hour-long Shabbos services every Saturday morning, most of which, of course, was in Hebrew, and most of which I did not understand, since all I learned in Hebrew school was the same ten words over and over again. It always struck me as odd that I managed to become fluent in four languages other than English, but even after four years of Hebrew school, about the only Hebrew I knew was Abba, Ima, Yeled, Bakbuk, Yayin, Mi, Sheli, Eretz Yisrael, and Mitzrayim. (laughs) After my 10th grade confirmation, I was so turned off by my conservative shul experience I don't think I set foot in a synagogue again for 20 years. Writing in the Jewish Review of Books, Leon Wieseltier captures the sorry state of Jewish knowledge that this woman describes. Owing to the magnitude of their illiteracy, American Jews have broken new ground in Jewish incompetence. But never underestimate the power of inertia. The challenge before us is to overcome doing the things the way we've always done them and getting the results we've always gotten. The ability to develop and utilize such instruction will determine which synagogues will survive. Survival lies in innovative, self-paced, online, and blended learning. Evidence of the power of such an education model abounds. Wireless Generation, founded in the year 2000, began its meteoric rise by testing 55,000 
New York City middle school students for mathematical skills and then tailor making instruction for each child, a technology that is now being utilized by schools throughout the country, including the wildly successful New York City School of One. Wireless generation was sold to the News Corporation two years ago for $360 million. The Khan Academy's 2008 YouTube tutorial videos from algebra to zoology draw over 4 million worldwide viewers per month in what Salman Khan has called a global one-world classroom. Four-year-old Newton Corporation's software collects 5 to 10 million student data points from thousands of students' computer activities every day scores, speed, accuracy, delays, and so forth. A student goes at his own pace. The software continually adapts to and cajoles the student to learn based on individual learning style. Alex, Grocket, Blackboard, Course Kit, and Tutor are among the tech companies that are shifting to education online learning. The number of college students enrolled in at least one online course has risen from 1.7 million to 6 million since 2002. Last year, educational publisher Pearson provided online homework and assessment programs in its remedial online college course offerings to 5 million students. 5,000 freshmen at Arizona State University enroll in Newton's remedial math courses where instructors can monitor their dashboards for students falling behind who require help. Half finish the course four weeks early. Last fall, two Stanford University professors offered their artificial intelligence course online for free modeled on MIT's open courseware, decade-old initiative of online lectures, syllabi, and homework for all of the university's 2,100 courses. More than 160,000 students, ranging from junior high to retiree from over 190 countries, signed up. Over 20,000 students took the midterm and turned in weekly assignments. 100 participants volunteered to translate the course into 44 languages. The top 1,000 students with perfect or near-perfect scores were asked to submit their resumes to be passed along to leading tech companies. Now Stanford, Princeton, Penn, and Michigan have joined forces with Coursera, free classes, while Harvard and MIT have teamed up to create a similar venture called edX. Co-founders of Stanford University model have moved the experiment into the for-profit sector with no labs and Udacity, anticipating that in 50 years, using this web model for reaching global students, there will only be 10 institutions of higher learning left in the world. This will be as a result of students seeing less value in on-campus experience when open, line, open online courses provide low-cost education with the very best educators. The Yuma, Arizona Carp Diem Charter School provides self-paced 
computer and classroom instruction that substitutes technology for labor. One math instructor can teach math to 240 students, grades 6 through 12. The CK Foundation offers three versions of free customized open source K through 12 flexbooks, grade level, remedial, and advanced. Los Angeles Stephen Wise Temple is in its fourth year of blended education, in part dictated by the freeway system. Students attend midweek Hebrew instruction at home on their computers and gather as a community on Sundays. Florida Virtual School provides K-12 accredited classes to students utilizing an e-learning model. Founded in 1997 as the country's first statewide internet-based public high school, the system offers more than 100 courses, including core subjects, world languages, electives, honors, advanced placement courses to students in all 67 Florida districts, 49 states, and 57 countries. If synagogues were not afraid of change and what it might mean to existing models, we would be able to get ahead of the curve in developing hybrid in-person and online software for Jewish students and professionals. And most importantly, we would be turning out more knowledgeable Jews. Rabbi Jonathan Jaffe is transforming our congregation's educational model in order to create highly literate Jews. Beginning this fall, our students are able to move at their own speed through an innovative, customized, competency-based, self-paced learning model. For example, beginning language students will work in six student learning center pods to acquire knowledge of liturgy. When competency is demonstrated, the student moves on to the next pod, establishing Hebrew core skills at his own pace. In addition, we can track students failing, falling behind, and customize learning style and remedial instruction. Beginning this fall, the Temple website provides new technological tools. The entire Hebrew liturgy curriculum is posted online with descriptions, Hebrew characters, and MP3s of each chanted prayer. Pocket Torah is our app for out out loud practice at any location. It can be downloaded to Apple or Droid phones and tablets and features all Torah and Haftorah portions chanted as each word is highlighted. Class communications are now online. Stay tuned. This is only the beginning of this revolution that Rabbi Jaffe is engineering as he transforms our educational modalities with tailor-made learning. Any educational enterprise that hopes to survive must cast aside the we've always done it that way mindset. No institution that slams the door on innovation will survive for long. Of course, many institutions believe that they allow change, but they're really victims of what Victor Hugo called gradualism. 
evolutionary incremental changes that take so long to respond to the needs and assessments that it leaves them behind the necessary quantum leaps that would prevent them from becoming increasingly irrelevant. Religious institutions in survival mode fail to be innovation-driven. Norman Davies' book, Vanished Kingdoms, The Rise and Fall of States and Nations, builds on the terse comment of 6th century Heraclitus, the weeping Greek philosopher, who stated, everything is in flux, and the same river can never be crossed twice. The reoccurring theme of not doing things the same way is not new. Centuries before Heraclitus, Ezekiel noted, whoever enters by the north gate shall leave by the south gate. Whoever enters by the south gate shall leave by the north gate. They shall not go back through the gate by which they came in, but shall go out by the opposite one. Davies expands Heraclitus' maxim. Students of history need to be constantly reminded of the transience of power. Sooner or later, all things come to an end. Sooner or later, the center cannot hold. All states and nations, however great, bloom for a season and are replaced. He further notes that at the height of greatness, the Greeks discover the statues of the Egyptian pharaohs buried in the desert sands, as Shelley envisioned. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look at my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck Boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Davy's caution is instructive. For ships of state do not sail on forever. They sometimes ride the storm and sometimes founder. On occasion, they limp into port to be refitted. On other occasions, damaged beyond repair, they are broken up or they sink slipping beneath the surface to a hidden resting place among the barnacles and the fishes. I spoke to Los Alamos theoretical physicist Jeffrey West, past president of the Santa Fe Institute, in an effort to understand the longevity of religious institutions. Dr. West studied 23,000 publicly traded companies and concludes that corporate growth is akin to human development. Humans and corporations are born, they grow rapidly, they taper off at maturity, and then begin a gradual decline that ends in death. He says when a company starts out, it's all about a new idea. Then if the company gets lucky, the idea takes off. Everybody is happy and rich. But then management starts worrying about the bottom line, and so all these people are hired to keep track of paper clips. This is the beginning of the end. Efficiencies of scale become outweighed by the burdens of bureaucracy. Dr. West explained 
that established corporations become entrenched, bureaucratic, and risk-averse, and unwilling to entertain new ideas. That is why there are so few corporations that are over 100 years old. I asked Dr. West about religious institutions, institutions that face the very same longevity challenges. He suggested that a different dynamic is at work because people are comforted by their perception that religion and canon are static, even if they are not. Nevertheless, I wonder if expectations are so low because people don't demand very much, even if they vote with their feet. Surveying the religious landscape, I look at the formerly vibrant institutions like Christian Science or the bankrupt Garden Grove California Crystal Cathedral Ministries and see that religious institutions also follow the human life cycle. When I discussed this with Rabbi Harold Kushner, I was amused by his tragic comic comment about failed religious institutions. Some of them have died, he said, but nobody has noticed. When the surrealistic art movement originated in Paris in the 1920s, artists like Marcel Duchamp, Max Ernst, Juan Miro, Jean Arp, Salvador Dali, René Magritte, Alberto Giacometti, and even Pablo Picasso aimed at establishing a perpetual revolution that would disrupt and disorganize both art and society. Such perpetual revolution must be our blueprint. Of course, that is why we are reform and not reformed ED. Reformed is static. Reform is dynamic. We wrestle with what we have received from our rich past and what our contemporary world offers. Jews constantly reinventing Torah, exile, redemption, land, worship, education. As Ellis Rifkin so thoughtfully points out in his book, The Unity Principle, The Shaping of Jewish History, he says that when the Judeans were thrust forth, forth from the great temple in Jerusalem, they transformed the temple priestly cult by creating a portable book, a portable clergy, and a portable God that could now go anywhere and was no longer attached to the land. Our challenge remains to employ creative energy, the creative energy that Isaac Mayer Wise, the founder of Reform Judaism in this country, identified as the mission of our movement to lead the Israelite out of obsolete and isolating forms forged for him in past centuries and to give him and his institutions morally, politically, and socially modern form. Yehuda Amichai in Passover, a beautiful poem, identified the tension between present and past. I want to add two to the Ten Commandments. The 11th commandment, 
Thou shalt not change. And the twelfth commandment? Thou must surely change. So said my father, and then he turned from me and walked off, disappearing into his strange distances. When the author of the Book of Lamentations surveyed the destruction of the ancient temple, he expressed hope in this phrase, Chadesh Yamenu Kekedem, make new our days as of old. He didn't say, give us back the good old days, but rather make our days full of newness as you did long ago. Our job is not to become stale, but to reinvent ourselves as we have done ever since Abraham and Sarah left behind the unchanging world of Mesopotamia and embarked on a revolutionary adventure that E.A. Spicer termed the most fateful commencement in Jewish history. Shana Tovah.